well, sometimes you should podcast and sometimes you really probably shouldn't podcast. And yesterday I probably shouldn't have podcasted because I told half stories. And when I listened back to make sure there were no glitches or I didn't fuck anything up terribly. And I love the sound of my own voice. Love it. Sexually love it. Can't get enough of myself. Uh, I realized that I missed the point on a few of my uh, fantastic stories. I, I may be talking a little quieter than usual on account of how my kid's sleeping and I just put him to bed. And I'm also eating uh, Costco noodle salad and uh, Pepsi Max out of the two liter container because I'm a disgusting animal. Okay, let's just let's just hang on one quick sec here. I'm just going to go into my photos because I took a screen cap of the story. Okay, let's go back to the woman who was found wrapped in a plastic bag in the Red River. So, funny story. Uh, the reason I was so, you know, dumbfounded by the whole thing is, it says here, police said Fontaine was found wrapped in a bag in a quote-unquote condition she couldn't have put herself in. The reason I was so, like, uh, dumbfounded by that statement is because how the fuck do you get yourself in a plastic bag and then tape it up? How was that humanly fucking possible to do? So when it says in a condition she couldn't have put herself in, well, duh. Well, yeah, right? No fucking kidding. That's really good police work there. Really good. Good work, O'Donovan. Dummy. Okay, so that was that. And I have notes of other things that I fucked up. Right, and the airport. So I never finished the story about the airport. Yes, I drugged my kid. Shut up. Don't call Chad and Family Services because, um, well, just don't. It was, it was like 5 ml of gravel, okay? I didn't double dose or anything. I didn't, I wanted to quadruple dose, but that's not cool. And really, honestly, if I could have, I would have rather drugged myself. And the reason we were in the bathroom for so long is because he was making that noise in the restaurant as well. And we were trying to go and like get him into something more comfortable and that turned into a screaming fit. And then we tried to lay him down on the change table. And that turned into a screaming fit. And then just getting his shoes off was a screaming fit. So you see the the progression, right? Of the And the whole time with the high-pitched sound. Yeah, right. Not cool. Not cool. Okay, so the story I did tell you about was how there's lightning strikes everywhere. And there are no planes on the tarmac. Right. And then the flights to Ottawa get canceled. And we're like, huh. Yeah. And we were supposed to depart, I think, at like 7.30. And it was now 10, 10.30. And uh, no one has any information. All the people that were on the Ottawa flight, like they actually had their carry-on baggage in the plane. So they must have been sitting on that plane for some time. You think you're going home, you get your baggage up there, and it's like, oh, you guys are going to have to get the fuck out of the plane. Oh my god, that would be so brutal. So we get the announcements that they aren't going anywhere, and then I'm like, uh-huh. And I said, well, they're going to have to find us someplace to stay, and Sarah's dad flies all the time. Gold level flyer, actually. I'll have you know, we got priority seating. We got to go on first. We got to have our luggage come out first, because we, you know, we were with a gold level flyer. You can make fun of it if you want, but it's hardcore, and I enjoyed the luxury. 
I let the luxury envelop me sexually. Uh, so we're freaking out now because it's like, I, I can't, I can't be staying overnight in Chicago. Like A, I can't afford it. B, it's like tray inconvenient. And C, I just want to go home and sleep in my own bed. Although I'll miss the mini bar and the hoarding of the alcohol. Oh, right. Customs. I never talked about that. We'll get to that. Uh, yeah. So we're stressed out and no one has any information. We're standing around and it gets delayed. And every like half hour, they push the flight back another half hour and they keep pushing it back and we're stressed out. Uh, Kevin McDonald is pacing the entire airport. And I know that because I'm watching him. I never really stopped watching him. He's very handsome. Uh, he's a little nerdy, but nice guy. You know, he was really polite to everyone I saw him encounter because I watched him. I didn't take my eyes off that motherfucker. And uh, eventually we stand there and I see one pilot and he goes through the magical door and everyone's like, yes, yes. And then a very tall black man went on and then a stewardess. And I was like, yeah, we're going home. We're fucking going home. Now keep in mind at this point, I had pretty much been up since three in the morning, give or take, you know, tossing and turning, kind of restless sleeping. But I, I was basically up since three in the morning. And it's probably, I think it was like 1230 by the time we got on the plane and it was a short trip back home. And by the time it was all said and done, Malcolm had gotten up in Winnipeg because we have to go through customs now. And I don't really know anything about customs or I didn't at the time. And yeah, um, maybe hoarding the alcohol and trying to bring it could have been considered a poor idea. Because I think you get 1.4 liters to bring from like, internationally I guess any from anywhere but I mean from the states for sure you get 1.4 liters and you can spend it any way you want now I had hoarded uh 12 little coronas they're like 210 ml I took 12 of those from the hotel because I'm cheap and I also took six of those little tiny bottles of al like hard alcohol that you get like on a plane just little tiny ones like that little sample packs so I took those and I also bought the 1.4 liters um of hard liquor we both did. So now I'm over. And Sarah's like, why, why did you take the alcohol from the hotel? And I said, well, uh, it was free. And she's like, now you're going to have to pay duty on it. What if they search all our stuff because you're over? And honestly, this is just one example of our relationship, right? I make a hasty, stupid, cheap decision, and uh, she may have to suffer the consequences. Who's the man? Who's the man in the relationship? That is a common thread in this show. So now it's about three in the morning. We've landed. Thank you, Jesus. We made it. I'm so happy. And Malcolm's kind of roused himself out of his drug-induced uh, stupor. And we head towards customs. And I'm scared. Because you don't want to fuck around with customs ever. They're just not the kind of people you want to mess with. They have a lot of power. A tremendous amount of power. So we roll up and he's like, Oh, I'm going to need you guys to uh, prop the baby up in the stroller so I can see his face. I was like, uh-huh, sure. Yes, sir. Right away, sir. Excellent, sir. And also, I had watched Kevin McDonald go through customs. And what, wasn't he just polite to that customs officer? Yes, sir. Yeah. No. Okay, thank you very much. Have a good day. Because you know what? Customs doesn't fuck around with Kevin McDonald. They know what's going to happen. They know. He's like the Chuck Norris of the North, you know? You don't want to fuck with that guy. When Kevin McDonald jumps in a pool, the pool gets Kevin McDonald. See what I'm saying here? That's a Chuck Norris joke. I <laughs> just... <clears throat> so he was very nice 
he must be have to be very nice because if he wigs out, there's going to be like 100 people posting on Twitter about what a dick Kevin McDonald is. But he wasn't. He was quite cordial. I'll have you know. So the customs officer, officer. <laughs> I'm drunk on noodles. Uh, he's like, okay, so why are you over? And then I explained the situation to me, to him about how I had stolen the free alcohol. And he just kind of looked at me blankly and Sarah looks ashamed. And yet again, due to my behavior, she looks ashamed. And I was like, I'm sorry. It's just, it was free. And I, I just, there's just a part of me that couldn't leave it there. I'm like, I had to take it. And he's like, how much are you over? And I'm like, like, what do you mean? Like how many bottles? He's like, how many MLs are you over? And I'm like, okay, um, well, I, I have the 12, 210 mLs. So how much is that? And I look at Sarah and she's just looking at me. She's like, she's kind of like washed her hands of the whole situation where I should just figure it out. Uh, I read through her body language and I'm like, okay, so I have that. And then I have six times 50 mLs. And then I have, I don't remember what I had, a 750 ml bottle or a liter bottle. I can't remember. And, uh. I was like, how much is that? He's like, yeah, how much is it? And I'm like, uh, cause I'm thinking to myself, isn't this something you customs officer, sir, Jesus deal with on a daily basis? Like I, I really, I just walk really fast and put paper in people's mailboxes. I don't know that I can calculate, uh, ever like period. I don't do math. You know, I, uh, don't do math. Sarah, on the other hand, does math practically for a living. So eventually she got stick, sick and tired of us kind of playing an Abbott and Costello routine. Well, how much are you over? Well, how much am I over? No, how much are you over? How much am I over? For like, seriously, <laughs> we had that exchange, I think for four or five minutes. And uh, finally she's like, she did the math. I can't remember what it was. She's like, okay, so 210 times 12 is, let's just pretend I can even do math, 156 and the six times 50 ml is okay. Well, that's going to be 300. So she's over 0.3 of a liter. And I was like, eh, none of that math was right. I'm just trying to, you know, talk. And I was like, huh? And he looked at her and she's, he's like, oh yeah. Okay. You know what? Uh, there you go. And he highlighted it. And I was like, we're walking away from him and his little booth towards another woman who's going to take this customs card. And I was like, do we have to pay anything? Are they going to, are they going to stick something in my bum? What's going on here? What's going on? She's like, just keep walking. Just keep walking. So I give her my card and I'm like, okay, here's, here's my card, ma'am. Okay. You have yourselves a good night. And we just kept walking. Okay. Then I guess I'm fucking not paying any duty on that. And I also made sure that I will not do that again. Not worth it. Not worth it. A little bit stressful there. Um, I also forgot to wish Rose a happy birthday on the last show and happy birthday to you. Let's hear from her. Hey everybody, this is Rose and apparently you can teach an old dog a new trick because today I refused food from a homeless person. If you don't know what I'm talking about, listen to whatever, I don't know, episode it was. But today at lunch when I was sitting on the bench eating my own uh, stuffed grape leaves from a food cart, this lovely homeless woman offered me no less than three times to share her teriyaki chicken with me. And we talked about Portland and social services and I explained the dividing line between north, south, east, 
East and West and how to get to places because she needed to get to a hospital for her own mental health issues. And I remembered a place called CODA because I had applied for a job there. And coincidentally, as I was telling her about it, this other lovely young woman um, with a shaved head sat down and told us exactly where CODA was because she lives near it and she's also a recent homeless transplant. So yeah, that's me. I'm making crazy money working in office an awful corporate job contracting gig and hanging out having lunch with homeless people because that's how I roll and it was just I don't know I'm gonna sound really stupid and I don't care but it's hard when you're poor and it's hard when you're vulnerable and it's hard when you're those things and when you're a woman and you don't know where you're gonna sleep or how you're gonna pay your pay for food or what have you and that's why I kind of talk to people like I do um, and it was just great like these two women didn't know each other I didn't know either one of them when I left I said something that my friend Daniel taught me a number of years ago which is to say be good to yourself because we kind of forget to do that and um the two of them were seemed really happy with that, and they seemed really happy with the engagement. And as I walked to the end of the block and turned around, I saw that they were actively talking with each other, which is also good. And I guess I'm sounding or feeling kind of sappy about that with um, another celebrity suicide, which bums me out. Um, I've had a number of friends kill themselves. I've been in the emergency room myself. I've had suicidal ideation since the age of four, when as far as I know, there was no trauma to, um, to kind of drive that kind of thought process in my little tiny four-year-old brain. And it, it breaks my heart and boggles my mind that somehow I'm somebody with no health insurance, not sure how I'm gonna pay for some medication that I definitely do need, um, I'm still making it, and yet somebody who has a lot of material advantages that include health care options wasn't able to make it. And that's just, that's just soul-crushing. Um, so there's that. Hey, hey. Hey, hey. Another fun fact. Um, a couple of weeks ago, I went to this awesome presentation at the Hollywood Theater, The History of Music. Thomas Edison was an asshole. Let's just get that right out there. You probably don't know why. Why would I bring Thomas Edison and the history of music into it? Because he's a fucker that thinks he invented the record player. <sighs> he wasn't, oh, just, oh, I can't even, I can't even. But anyway, there was this thing in the 1920s, this novelty record, phenom, phenom, called the laughing record, which is where somebody, it would start with this like haunting woodwind kind of melody, really sad, and then suddenly you would just hear one person or a couple of people laughing over and over and over and over again. And back in the 1920s, you didn't have mass production. And so if you had a record like this, the laughing record that was a huge, huge hit selling hundreds of thousands of copies. That meant that the only way to produce multiple copies was to be the performer, <clears throat> excuse me, sorry, that's disgusting, to be the performer sitting in a studio for six to 10 hours a day recording the same laughing track over and over and over again, month after month after month after month. 
And one of these people who recorded one of those laughing records ended up killing himself. himself. He did have multiple selves. Jesus Christ, let's not add multiple personality disorder onto his problems. But yeah, he basically drove himself bonkers through the repetition of laughing. Um, and when I heard that, it just kind of like clicked um, with all the different comedians that we're all aware of that have suffered issues and haven't necessarily come out the other side, as well as friends of ours who've probably also done that. But more than anything, it certainly seems to be really prevalent in the comedy world. So I don't know what this all roundabout is. Be nice to strangers, talk to somebody, be vulnerable and open, share your own experience because you never know when that might give strength to another person. Just because somebody else seems like they have all the advantages, they really might not. And um, I guess as my friend Daniel Scuba Steve says, be good to yourself. Very insightful things to say. Thank you. You're doing a great job. You keep it up. You're really, you're really doing quite great, Rose. Thank you. Uh, I, the laughing track thing, though, like, why? What a weird thing to want to listen to first. I mean, there's been music since forever. Why would you want to listen to somebody laugh? And I think if I had to laugh for six, seven months at a time, I think, I think it would drive you absolutely fucking insane. How could it not? How is it possible that it wouldn't? And I'm, you know, I'm sad about Robin Williams dying, too. And I know it's just, he's just a dude, but it's just, he's, he's someone who's been around forever. And I think, I think he's just one of those actors that's touched somebody in some way, somehow, because he's just done such a broad range of things for such a long time. I think we all really felt that death. It struck me pretty hard and it's sad. It's a sad thing. And I don't know why comedians seem to suffer from depression and addiction a lot, but I think there's something about uh, needing to or wanting to make other people happy and other people laugh. You're just kind of like trying to heal that part of yourself that is just sad. And if you can bring joy to other people, maybe that makes you feel good for a short time. That's my theory on it. And I don't think it's such a brand new thing. I don't think I'm breaking new ground. I think that's a pretty common opinion, but I, it totally makes sense. I remember once being in a dentist's office and they had a picture of Jim Carrey. It was really popular at the time. And he was completely covered in white paint, his entire face. And I swear to God, he had the saddest eyes I've ever seen in my entire life. Like once you take away all of his stupid, like over-exaggerated um, facial expressions and just focused on his eyes, they just looked so sad. Like just... It's brutally sad and it's okay. You know what? It's okay to feel sad and it's okay to be depressed and it's good to reach out to your friends. And if you feel like you need some kind of, you know, medication, perhaps maybe you should reach out and get that help as well because it's going to be okay. It does get better. It will get better. It will get better unless you live in Mississippi and okay, let's talk. Let's talk really quickly about this. Uh, there. Okay, so there was a show called The L Word, and honestly, I don't, I think I hated that show more than I liked it, but it was just like, I felt like I had to watch it. I feel like it could have been a really great show, because I think, I can't remember, who was it, the producer? Someone was an actual lesbian that was making that show about lesbians, except there was not a butch to be found on that fucking show. 
There was no one who looked like they knew their way around home hardware. No one was capable of small engine repair. No one was clipping anything to their person whatsoever. It was just like a bunch of beautiful women. And then the main characters, two of them, one of them ends up leaving the other one for a man. It's like, ah, the same tired, played out, dumb shit everyone in mainstream media does to lesbian characters. Sick of it. I'm fucking just done with it. So I found that show incredibly irritating. And then their sex scenes I found even more stupid. But uh, then there came the real L word, which is more, it's kind of a reality TV show following girls around, I think, Los Angeles. And just, you know, tons of drama, lots of boobs. It was, you know, mindless, guilty pleasure entertainment. And now, I don't know if it was like a one-off special or if they're going to continue, but there's an, another real L word uh, set in Mississippi. And it it uh, was absolutely ridiculous. I, I'm all for religion. If religion makes you feel good, if it helps guide you to be a good person, if if it, if you use it to center yourself, more power to you. Don't care. But in Mississippi, it's used to like brainwash people. And the amount of self-hatred, I just, I just couldn't believe it. Like, why? Why do you need to, like, we're all fine. And then the instant, oh, you should just watch it. But the instant they, anyone talks about homosexuality and like the religious people are saying it's deviant behavior, bestiality is, it's, it's akin to homosexuality. And they are just in two different stratospheres. You know, there, there's plenty of people that use their religion to like, hate and bring shame upon other people and I just found it so unnecessary and it just I was just sitting there and I'm just slack-jawed watching this whole thing they they follow a few different families around and uh the reason I bring this up is there was this one scene where a woman th this pastor woman she'd previously been married to a man she had a church where she would try to convert people that were gay into you know god's way and the heterosexual lifestyle and get away from the devil and all this shit and all of a sudden she found herself completely and totally in love with a woman who does look like john goodman that there's no lie there absolutely she looks like him handsome woman i don't know i think a little burly she looked like she could take care of you in a fight she could definitely definitely show you around home depot definitely you know if you had a flat tire on the highway she'd be your man or your gal or whatever and she posts something on Facebook uh, about her new endeavor, which is like trying to communicate to homosexuals that it's okay and God still loves you and you're going to be loved and accepted and kind of trying to help, you know, maybe to right her past wrongs because she understands now that she's not a piece of shit and she's not into bestiality and she's not a piece of garbage. And this woman, I guess, goes on this Facebook post and just shits all over it and tells her she's going straight to hell and all of this jibber-jabber fucking nonsense. And she's the the ex-pastor is explaining to this woman, a friend, maybe a, maybe a, I can't remember if she was a member of her old congregation or not, but she was very kind to her and she said, I just want you to understand that there are people out there who are gay who are killing themselves because of the things that you are saying. Things exactly like that are driving young teenage people to kill themselves because of all the hatred and she's like oh really is that so well do you know how many dentists kill themselves and i thought to myself 
what the fuck are you even talking about? Like that whole dental suicide rate thing comes from like fucking 1925 when they were inhaling the mercury fumes that they used to fill people's teeth with. It's fucking 2014, you fucking cooter. What the hell? It's just shocking to me how she justified her behavior. It's like she didn't, she just kept deflecting. It's like you're, you're making people feel shitty about themselves so much so that they'll kill themselves out of shame. And for what? To go to heaven? Like, I just, I just don't even get it. I just can't even wrap my brain around why you would make someone feel that way about themselves. Because you're concerned about their afterlife? Really? Really? You're doing it out of the goodness of your own heart? I don't want to get all Debbie Downer any more than I already have, but stuff like this really gets me. It gets me in a really personal way. I know what it's like to be ashamed. I know what it's like to hide who you are because you don't want to upset the people around you or you're afraid of whether or not you're going to be accepted by your family for fuck's sakes, your own fucking family. You're worried about all of that. Being ostracized. No one going to be there for you anymore. And it's people like this close-minded, dumb bunch of cunts in Mississippi that perpetuate all this nonsensical bullshit. There's nothing wrong with you. I promise everything is right with you. You're perfect. You look that pussy or that penis hole in the eye and you say, I'm okay. I'm gay and I'm okay. But in your head, like not out loud, because they may change their mind and you won't get any tail at all. Just a little tip there, a little tip there. Okay, that's enough of that. I feel good. I feel cleansed. I feel like I got my message out. And if I die tomorrow, all my little homo homies are going to know that they're cool. There's nothing to fear. And if you need somewhere to live, I'm starting a lesbian polygamy colony. You're more than welcome to join. More than welcome to join. And if you're a little gay dude, well, we need sperm donors. Maybe we can make exceptions for you. We won't make you eunuchs. That's not cool. Because that's, you know, that's the only real reason that you're there is the testicle part. Okay, <clears throat> here's Kendra. Hey, Sandra, it's Kendra with another Adventures in Adopting segment. So I left off at the, around the end of 2011 with you last time. And there's some decision making to be done at the end of this year, that year. Uh, my whole life had revolved around this adoption and I, I needed it to stop. I couldn't continue to live the way I was living. Um, I had to just move on. So I tried uh, dating again with uh, absolutely no success and just tried to put it behind me. By the end of that year, I'd gone through three Christmases, two Halloweens, um, two Easter's without a child. And those, those holidays were really difficult because they're the ones where having a kid really makes the difference and makes the holiday fun. So the end of that year during the Christmas vacation, um, I had a bit of time off work and whatnot. I decided that this, my last spare room in my house, which was going to be my child's room, needed to be done up as a spare room. Uh, I couldn't, uh, it bothered me every time I walked past it. I had the door closed for a long time that it was unfinished. It was the only unfinished room in my house. So um, I went, got the paint, picked out some bedding and started painting. Um, June, or sorry, January 3rd of 2012, I was painting the accent wall in that room that night and my phone rang. Uh, it happened to be for my social worker. A uh, little strange to hear from her so late at night and wasn't really sure why she was calling. I totally didn't clue in at first um, until she said she actually had paperwork for me for a little boy um, who was five and a half years old. So if you all remember, uh, I had only been approved for up to four years old. So this 
took some consideration. I actually did take some time. I didn't didn't uh, accept this referral right away. Um, they in Ethiopia they often will lie about the child's age because they're more adoptable the younger they are. So my concern was I I wasn't sure I was willing to take on a five year old that was actually eight. Getting birth dates changed and that is really tricky and you don't want a child not being the right age when they're going through puberty and there's just a lot to consider there. So I did take a couple days. I asked for height and weight and kind of compared it to other kids that I knew and people who I knew would give me that information and whatnot. So um, anyways, as I was asking some of these questions, eventually after a couple days, my social social worker just said, you know what, why, just look at this paper. You can try and read what you can off of it. However, she happened to send me the entire file. And the first page, of course, was a picture of this little boy. Um, so there's no way I could have said no now. He was so cute. And he looked so lonely and so vulnerable. And um, they give you two pictures. One's a headshot and one's a full body. And they're just standing against the wall. They always look sad in them. And I just wanted to hug this little guy. So... Um, Pretty much all of the paperwork did say his, his birthday was the same day on all of it, and that and all indications pointed that he was actually five and a half. So I accepted the referral. Um, did run it by my doctor beforehand. He said, you know, everything looks fine from the information you have. The child looks like he should be healthy. And, uh, yeah, so this little guy was going to be my son. Um, that weekend I went camping. My best friend, we went winter camping. Um and I, when she got there, there was a bottle of champagne on the table. And as soon as she got out of the car, she knew exactly what had happened. Um, so we spent the weekend drinking and um, being excited about this future little guy. And I told my parents that when we got home that weekend, um, showed them a picture. And yeah, it was very good. It was uh, amazing in every way. Um, the only thing with this adoption and the reason why I can't do it again on my own is that the low times are really low and the high times are really high. But when you're the only one there and you have nobody to share it with, it puts a damper on things. Um, there's nobody like my family and friends are really happy for me, um, at this point, but they're not in it. It's not their child. It's not the same. And to, to I couldn't do it again just because of that. Like when things went badly, it was just me. Everyone else carried on with their lives. Um, when things went really, really well and this referral came through, as happy as I was, it would have been nice to have somebody to share it with. So uh, won't can't do it again, but boy, was I lucky with this little guy. Um, so I'll continue on the next segment with what happened between the uh, referral and actually getting this little dude home. And yeah, that's it for now. Bye. Yeah. Finally, some good fucking news. That's great. That's great. I'm really sorry you had to do that by yourself. That's brutal. Kendra needs some pussy. Does anyone live in Ontario? I help Kendra out with a little bit of vitamin P. Is anyone gonna... I can get a phone number. I can help. I can help make this happen, but I'm gonna have to vet you first. You're gonna need a referral. <laughs> All right. Thanks, Kendra. I'm really excited to hear what happens next. All right. Let's wrap up this downer show. Meh. So sad. Okay, leave an iTunes review if you want to. I'm on Twitter. I'm on Facebook. I'm better than you. Why do I keep doing this show when I'm tired? Why? Why do I do it? I'm just flighty and dumb and a little bit of a fucking downer for a comedy podcast. But that's okay. You know, there's highs, there's lows. There's lows and highs. There's middles, right? You know, I'm just in a tiny bit of a low right now. Um, 
Right. So I was on a show called Lesbian Mommy's Radio, and I think you should really listen to it. I think you should review the show, throw an iTunes review, Elizabeth's Way. She's actually freakishly good looking. Not that I was creeping on her profile picture or anything, because I totally was. But yeah, attractive. I'm really glad I didn't know that while I was on the show or I would have been more nervous. So if you can throw a review, you can go listen to her show. Do something nice. Do something nice for someone other than yourself. You know? Do you know what I mean? You picking up what I'm putting down? Yeah? Are you? Yeah? All right. Thanks for having me. Thanks for letting me make love to your ears with my sexy voice. Goodbye.